0: All right, you know, uh, it's kind of crazy right now because Lord's just been really good because I've been doing a lot of messages each week, but I'm finding myself getting kind of behind in the sense of not behind really, but having more messages that I'm able to actually preach each week. So it's kind of weird how that's happening. So I'm finding a lot of messages that are near done that are ready to go. And so it's been kind of, I thought, this is interesting, Lord, because I thought I'd have to keep up because I'm working typically at least on seven messages a week and delivering at least six of them, sometimes seven when I do the VOs. And uh, I've been praying about, you guys know I've done a every once in a while. We do a message called Discipleship 101. uh, And I've been working on a discipleship series for a long time. And we decided Uh, We're talking about because we have these wonderful home groups and these other fellowships, uh, home fellowships and so forth, live stream audiences and people that are associated to us that want to become Blessed Hopes. So we wanted to uh, create some distinctives for them, biblical distinctives that set true biblical churches apart from all the strange stuff that's going on out there. And some of these distinctives, unfortunately, are essentials, you know, because there's essentials being denied today. Like some people teach that you don't have to repent to be right with God. That's denying a salvific essential. Because if you don't repent, you're still in your sins, you know. And then a lot of the essential, a lot of the non-essentials, distinctives are important still. But you could be saved, uh, for instance, if you baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right. And, uh, you know, and you dunk someone all the way down. We don't believe if someone doesn't get dunked all the way down or something like that, you know, uh, they're going to be doomed. But, so there's things that aren't so much, distinctives as far as salvation goes, but ty- the timing of the rapture, for instance, you know, uh, things of that nature that are still important to talk about, but we, we're brethren, we hold some differences and so forth, depending on what churches hold what. Uh, we hold the historical, classical, premillennial, biblical view. <laughs> what the church fathers held, but anyway, uh, on that issue. But on the gifts of the Spirit, people are all over the place. They either are cessationists, they deny them, or they're sensationalists, and they just run after everything and don't test anything, which is a horrific problem in the church today. So, uh, but instead of just doing some distinctives, I said, you know what we need to do is, it, it just developed to where right now, it's a discipleship course. So when you're hearing, uh, every, every message is discipleship, because you're always, the Bible, to be a disciple, means to be a learner of Jesus, to follow him, amen? So every single message, if you come with a right heart and you're humble and you say, hey, I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to be like Jesus, you're being discipled, okay? When you get together with other brothers and sisters and you encourage each other in the Lord and you uh, stretch each other, you challenge each other to follow Jesus, you're discipling one another even, amen? So as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But what I wanted to do is to be, to be more organized in the sense of every week, and it's turning out for the next 52 weeks or so, we'll see how long, the next year, Each time, each week, we'll have one discipleship class, one discipleship message, Uh, and it's going to get pretty heavy, but I looked at my notes, because I was going to have one message this week, and I looked at my notes, I had like 20 pages, and I thought, this is not one message. So we did four messages on the attributes of God. We're going to start with salvation, but I said, guys, we have to start with the attributes of God, who God is, right? Right? And his attributes, who he is. And I thought, wow, how amazing it is that we go through the scriptures and we get to know God. And we get to see who he is and his attributes as we study the scripture. Amen. But it's not often that we do teachings on the attributes of God. Who he he is. He Going by through each attribute systematically, you know. So I thought, you know what? If we're going to have somebody. And the cool thing about this is we'll have a whole year's worth, Lord willing. Okay. See what the Lord does. Or more to begin with at least, of discipleship classes where somebody can go online and take a discipleship course and our plan is to have a corresponding book that goes through the scriptures that you could actually take somebody through this book that will just have the scripture references and a few points. You could listen to the message on that particular week and then you could actually disciple someone with that. Wouldn't that be cool? So you could actually listen to a short message, 25, 27 minutes or however long it is, You could take notes from that. You could pray and seek the Lord and ask him to burn some things on your heart about, for instance, like looking at his attributes, right? And then you can get the syllabus or the book, and all of a sudden, here's the scriptures you're taking them through, okay? Uh, And it could be really, really effective because, you know, it's funny because I had no idea what John was going to say. I I teased about giving him five bucks. He's so encouraging. (laughs) But I thought, wow, John, what a segue into this message because, uh, I want to encourage you guys to pray for that, okay? Because we need that. That was John's point. We need solid teaching in these days that we live, amen? And a lot of people don't even know who God is. And it's been said that what you think about God is the most, and we, I, I go through that in the uh, first episode, quoting a pretty uh, popular theologian in the past, but what you think about God is the most important thing about you because it determines how you respond to him, how you relate to him, how you live your life. Amen? So it starts with God. And we could say the most important thing is really what he thinks about you, right? But as far as about you specifically, who you are, is dependent upon, if you want to be blessed and be who God's called you to be, knowing who he truly is and responding to him correctly. Amen? Now, so, I did four messages on the attributes of God. And, They'll air each this week. If you want to go, I mean, praise God, we have a lot of people listening to our podcast. And by the grace of God, uh, Tony and Chad have done such a great job. And our podcast is usually in the 30s somewhere, in the nation, top 30s as far as listening to podcasts. Because you guys are getting out there, you guys are sharing with people. It blows us away. We did not expect that, you know. Last time I heard it was at 32 in the nation as far as uh, Christian, not just Christian, religious, quote unquote, Even Oprah Winfrey's on that list and others. And we moved up to 32 some time ago, and we're usually in the 30s somewhere. uh, And we're pretty high in in the international around the world as well. All kinds of people listening. And I thought, Lord, we need to make good, you know. We need to make sure we're good stewards of this opportunity that you've given us to affect people, amen, and grow them and stretch them in Jesus. So we already have all these cool things going on with what we're doing with regard to the podcast. We cover current events, you know. We cover some prophecy. We cover typology, a lot of really cool things. But I want to go through uh, just, you know, basically a course on, and it'll cover everything from repentance, all kinds of issues when we go through this discipleship course. But I did four parts on the attributes of God. I'm not going to go through everything I went through in those four parts because you can listen to those four parts, and I don't want it to be the same exact thing. But I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to apply, let's, how do you apply different attributes of, or different attributes that we see of God to our lives? How do we respond by way of application. And I spoke of a little bit of application, but very little in those four messages compared to what I'm going to do today. I want to th- think, man, I thought, Lord, this, these when we understand who you are and how awesome you are and how amazing you are, and we're dumbfounded by your beauty and your power and, and, and your holiness and your, your righteousness, your goodness, your love, you know, your wrath, your kindness and mercy and hold- withholding wrath from us, This should elicit within us a desire to throw our hands up and say, God, have mercy on us. You are so amazing. And to want to worship him and love him and follow him all the more. Amen? Because it shouldn't be just head knowledge. Brothers and sisters, you know what? It breaks my heart. It makes me actually sick. When I see Muslims, and it happens by the millions, where they'll pray toward Mecca, you know, three times a day they'll fall down before Allah. And a lot of them will devote their lives to him. They even do wicked things in his name and blow themselves up and blow a bunch of kids up on a bus. How much more should we do righteous things for the one true God? Allah is not the God of the Bible. It says that he's incapable of having a son. (laughs) Can't even have a son. That's not the God of the Bible, amen? Our God is triune. Allah is not triune. Allah is a false God. Okay, but guess what, man? Our God gave His Son for you and for me, amen. amen? How much more should we be bowing down before Him and giving Him the praise that He deserves? Amen? amen? How much more should we be worshiping Him and excited about Him because we deserve wrath, but He became a man and died a horrible, horrific, the most horrific of all deaths because he took all of our sin, penalty of all our sin upon him. We should be worshiping him. We should be praising him, amen? And the more we learn about him, should cause us to praise him and worship him even more. But right now, people have such a dumbed-down understanding of the God of the Bible. They come to many churches, and they want to get their ears tickled, and the pastors, I'm sorry, in a lot of cases, want to tickle their ears because they don't want to offend anybody. And what happens is people don't fear God. They don't love God. They don't realize how great their sin is. So therefore, they don't realize how great their Savior is. Because when you don't realize how great your sin is, you don't think much of your Savior because he didn't save you from much in your mind. But he saved us from eternal damnation because our sin was horrific. And we have an awesome, incredible, amazing Savior. Amen? Amen. And I better be careful because that's none of this in my notes. And I've got 15 or so pages. But we'll be on time today i got a clock before me. We'll be good. I want to talk about the holiness of God first. Because this is one of the things that... And, and I'm not going to talk about all the attributes. We've talked about over 20 different attributes, I believe, in those four messages or so. I didn't even count them at the end of my uh, time, getting them prepared. But I just want to talk about a handful of his attributes today because I want to talk about applying them. And we want to talk about God's holiness. And I, I emphasize God's holiness... Because there are two attributes that are most stunning to me. And I hate to say that. Because it's almost like being forced to pick a favorite child or grandchild. You really can't because they're all beautiful, right? You love them all in, different, in, in, in the same, but you see different things in them that bless you. Well, with God's attributes, it's a, it's a similar reality. But there's two that really stick out to me. One is his utter holiness. And the other is his profound Love. Those two attributes enamor me more than just, I just, they stun me throughout my life. So I pray holy, 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 or we worship and we call them holy, 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 because the scriptures refer to him more than once as holy, holy, holy. And my prayer is hallowed, and that's the prayer that Jesus told you and me it should be all of our prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I've emphasized to you, I can't wait till we get to that part of the prayer when we're, as we're going to be going through as we're going through the Lord's uh, prayer as well, but we pray Hallowed be Thy name, Lord. We're praying when we pray that prayer. May my life, may my words, may who I am declare Your holiness, to show that Your name is Hallowed. May I be a living epistle. We're basically paying. May I be read of men to show that You are holy, Amen. So our lives are. I mean, the first thing Jesus has us request is to reflect God's glory. Point people to Him with our lives. Amen. Hallowed be Thy name. So to me, it's huge. The first of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before our God. Amen. And we're not under the Old Testament commandments, but we're under the law of Christ, and that's repeated in the New Testament. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Amen. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. Amen. He's first in both Testaments. And that's how we ought to be living. Now, it's interesting because you remember Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 5, he pronounces a bunch of woes upon the people. Woe to those who take other people's lands, you know. Woe to those who get drunk and get up in the morning and get drunk. Woe to those who listen to music, but I'm not mentioning it, you know. Woe to those, or, you know, in their parties and so forth. Woe to, woe, 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 woe. Woe to those who call darkness light and light darkness. Or call evil good, or put evil for good and good for evil. It's happening today, right? He has all these woes. But then, he has a vision of the presence of God. He sees the Lord in his temple, high and lifted up and exalted, And the train of his robe filling the temple. And the smoke of his glory. Not that it's smoke, smoke, but as he sees it in his vision, just... And the thresholds of the temple shaking. As the seraphim, the holy seraphim, the most radical of the angelic class of beings. means fiery ones. That's how they're described. Because they're in the presence of God. And the Bible says more than once in the Old and New Testament... Hebrews 12, 29 in the New Testament, that our God is a consuming fire. Well, he's love too. But this is the God that created the entire universe, man. And he's a consuming fire. And they have two wings, it says in Isaiah, over their feet. And two, they fly with. But two, they cover their faces. Because his presence is so radical. The Bible says if we're in God's presence and we're in the glory of God, guess what would happen to us? The Bible says we would what? We would die. Amen? We'd be burnt to a quick Chris. Because he's so holy. And what do they declare? Holy, holy. Not once, not twice, but three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? The earth is filled, right, with his glory. Wow, you guys. And they're constantly doing this. Holy, holy, holy. And you know, when you emphasize this, like in the book of Revelation, the most terrible judgments that ever take place on earth, the seal judgments, the, the trumpet judgments, the seven bowl judgments, and when some of those judgments are coming, you know, an angel fly or an an eagle flies through the mid heavens, saying, Whoa, woe, woe to the earth!" Three woes, meaning it's going to be radical. The emphasis three times is emphasizing the radicalness of the judgments. Well, when you have holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, it's emphasizing that He is thrice holy. He's ultimately holy. He's as holy as He can possibly one could be. And you know what? When we speak of God's holiness in the sense of being thrice holy none of us could ever be thrice holy is we're talking there's two different aspects listen of the holiness of god one aspect is what we call his ontological holiness ontological holiness let's say that word just say ontological the other ontological okay when we speak of his ontological holiness, we speak of God being ontological in the sense that he is distinct and separate from all other beings. He is transcendent. He is high above all of his creation in the context of, in the context of God being ontologically holy, that there's nobody could, who could ever be God. In fact, I emphasize, it's so ridiculous when you have New Agers saying, I am God, you know. I am God. I am a co-creator of the universe. No, you weren't there, and you are not God, Okay. Oh, you have a bunch of professing Christians in the New Apostolic Reformation or the prosperity, preaching the prosperity gospel. You know, Benny Hinn in the past and, and Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagin and all these false teachers today that say, I am God, we are little gods, you know. Paul Crouch, the head of Trinity Broadcasting Network, before he passed, I am a little God and I want to shoot those who disagree with me. He talks about regarding his doctrine with the Holy Ghost machine gun. Like what in the world, dude? Satan wanted to be like the Most High God. He couldn't. Boom, out of heaven, man. Eve, you could be as God, Satan says. No, boom, out of Eden, Eve. The Antichrist, I am God. Would he would declare himself to be God in the temple of God. Show himself that he is God. No, he's not. Boom, thrown in the lake of fire. There's only one true God, and he alone is holy, holy, holy. And the reason you can't be God, never fall for that demonic delusion. The reason you and I could never be God is because we were created by God. And God was never created. God is the uncreated Creator of all things, Amen. Amen. And God is the, not only uncreated Creator of all things, but He is self-existent. I'm not going to get into some of these attributes I'm mentioning right now. We do in the four-part series. He oh, He alone exists by His own power. Any existence you have is related to Him giving you life. And if you have eternal life it's by virtue of you being the vine connected to being the branch connected to him being the vine amen and you derive your life from him he is the eternal life and as long as you're attached to him you have that life because that life is in the sun the bible says you know so he ex- he's alone self-existence he alone is from everlasting you weren't from everlasting i wasn't from everlasting amen and he alone is the uncreated creator of all things there's a lot more we could say about god that does not re- that we can never be And these are, for instance, God is omniscient. He is all-knowing to the nth degree. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. We're limited. There's all kinds of wonderful things about God that are so amazing and so mind-boggling that we could never be. So when you get the Luciferian lie put in your ear by occultists and New Agers and the, the prosperity gospel people, which, by the way, they have a lot in common. It's part of the apostasy. It's part of the false counterfeit kingdom that's coming in the end. You say, no, man, I am just so grateful to be created in his image and to to be able to be like him in the smallest of ways because we're not God, but we are created in the image of God. So there's two different aspects to his holiness, two different types of holiness. One is his ontological holiness where he is incredibly, his own class of being by himself that we will never be. And I praise God because you know what? All of our hearts are like vacuums, you know that? Everybody desires to worship something. We, we want to have purpose and meaning. There's something in our lives and some will worship drugs. Some will be lovers of self and worship themselves, the Bible says. Some will put ple- be lovers of pleasures more than God. These are all idolatrous things the Bible predicts for the last days and they're like vacuums for pleasure, They'll just live whatever. But guess what? God created eternity in our hearts. That's why we have this eternal vacuum. And guess what? You need to worship the one true God. Amen. Because that's where you have your peace. That's where you have your satisfaction. And as we worship the one true God, we are made like him in his communicable attributes. Because we speak in theology how God has incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. His incommunicable attributes are those attributes like his self-existence by his own power. Like him being from everlasting like Him being the uncreated creator of all things. Those are things He could never communicate to us because, it's an, because He alone is God. It's an absolute impossibility for us to become the uncreated creator. Amen? And it's against nature and against what's right. So... Those are, there's so his holy, 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 him being holy in the transcendent sense, being a class of being by himself as the eternal God is something that is not communicable to us. And praise God. I praise God, man, that he is who he is because guess what? I do have this vacuum in my heart where I want to worship and I'm glad I know who the true God is so I can turn my worship to the creator of all things. Amen. And that's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be worshiping him. Jesus says God is spirit. He's a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we worship him by the Holy Spirit, and we worship according to his word, not according to some image that you drudge up in your mind that you're comfortable with. That is idolatry. If you make an image of God that you're comfortable with, because and that's what millions of people do in our country. They have an idea that they can live with, or they could live in their sin with. They create a God who just isn't a God that is holy, 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 so they can get away with rebellion against him so because he is holy 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 and he is transcendent that should apply to us and how should that apply we should say how did that apply to isaiah when he saw him remember what isaiah did after he pronounced all these woes on everybody else as a prophet chapter five woe to those who get up early in the morning and get drunk you know woe to those who take other people's land Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And put darkness for light. And like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They all of he's in the presence of God. And he's like, woe is me. I am undone. I am coming apart at the seams. That's what he, he literally says. Woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. He starts to recognize his utter lack of holiness. So the first thing we do when we recognize who God is and how holy he is, we recognize We're nothing compared to him. That he is God and we are not. And we should be very, very grateful to be alive. And then Isaiah says, Lord, send me. Then we realize we were made for him and it's about him and our lives should re- revolve around him and instead of trying to get him to be a divine bellhop that follows our commands and does our will as we profess and confess this into existence and we say we're little gods and we say I want this and we want that. It's witchcraft man. That's what's happening in the word faith movement with prosperity gospel which is the most possible gospel version of the gospel in the, wor- in the nation today and perhaps the world. It's false. We need to make sure that we're bowing down before him. Abraham, what did he do before God? He was laid out bam you know, Isaiah, woe is me, you know, Job starts to complain, he never, he never does, he never curses God like Satan tried to give him and his wife tried to give him do. but he starts to complain a bit, and then he sees God of the whirlwind, where were you when I created the earth, and the angels, you know, rejoiced, and the sons of God shouted for joy, and the morning star sang, and so forth, where were you, and he goes through, all, and Job put his hand over his mouth, and it says he abhorred himself, like couldn't believe what he had said and was so disgusted with what he was even contemplating. Wow, crazy. What happened to Paul, John the book of Revelation when he stood before God? When Jesus appeared to him in Revelation chapter 1, like and his sun was shining at like the noonday? man. It says he fell down like a dead man. And Jesus put his right hand upon him and said, fear not. I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive for evermore and have the keys of Hades and death. I'm telling you guys right now, we could go, I have a whole message where I just show reactions to God. And then you have these word faith teachers, prosperity teachers. Oh God, what did you say? Oh yeah, God said this. Oh, what did you say? And then they'll just do all these weird things. And or a lot of times it's like Peter Popoff. I call him Peter Ripoff. He's at it again after he got out of prison. Oh, what did you say, God? Oh, God's telling me that so-and-so has this sickness and they came from this place. And da-da-da. And it's really because his wife talked to somebody at the front door of their big crusade with tens of thousands of people, however many people are there. And is saying, oh, this lady I just talked to that came in, she's got this and she's from here. And he's pretending it's word of knowledge. Oh, God. And the lady comes screaming down, oh, I can't believe he knows my name. And God's talking to him. That's the wickedest thing you could do to a person. That guy's in huge trouble, okay? But I'm telling you right now, if you fear God, And love God the way you ought to. Your life will be transformed. You will. Every day you'll say, God, how can I glorify you? How can I be more thankful to you? I love you, Lord. You're so good. You want to sing praises to him. You want to worship him. You want to spend time with him. And you want to say, like Isaiah, I'm undone. I'm in trouble without your grace. Amen. Send me, Lord. Here I am, Isaiah said. Send me after you saw that vision. Send me. You ought to have that mentality. Here I am, Lord, send me. Use me to your glory, amen? And and sending you doesn't necessarily mean around the planet. It may mean that for some of you, but it may mean next door. It may mean talking to your neighbor. It may mean edifying your brothers and sisters in Christ. It can mean a lot of different things. But the, the point is that we ought to be crying out to him, saying, Lord, send me, amen. The Bible says of God's holiness, Psalm 99, 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is Holy, Amen. In Revelation 4.11, you have the, 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 this radical class of angels, man. It says, and each, uh, and each of the four living creatures, and they had four different faces, right? The face of a man, face of a, uh, an eagle, you know, these face of a, an ox, was covered with eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's amazing. And it's not that they just say those words only because we know from Isaiah 6, they also say what? Heavens and the earth is filled with your glory. But they're worshiping him. Listen to Revelation 15, 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you, listen to this, for you alone are holy. Wow, you catch that? You alone are holy. So there's a sense and now wait a minute, the Bible over and over again calls Christians to be holy. It talks about we're holy people. So how does it say he alone is holy? He alone is holy in what sense? Starts with a no. The what sense? The ontological sense. Amen. Amen. As the uncreated creator who's transcendent above all things. Who will not fear O oh Lord and glorify your name, meaning who's not, not going to fear you, who's not going to glorify your name, only somebody who has no sense in their brain, man. Only someone who doesn't really know who you are and what you uh, they ought to be doing for you alone are holy. But he's also holy in another sense, a sense in which he also calls us to be holy. Not in the ontological sense, but in the ethical sense. In the sense that he is separated from that which is wicked and evil. He refuses to do evil by his very nature because his nature is holy. And he calls us to be separate from evil as well. Psalm 5.4 says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The Bible tells us that God is incapable of doing evil because it's absolutely contrary to his nature. Some say, well, God's so powerful, but there's certain things he can't do. Well, the only things God really can't do are those things that are contrary to his righteous and holy and perfect and all-powerful nature. Amen. He won't contradict his nature. The Bible says God cannot lie. Aren't you thankful? Amen. The Bible says God cannot deny himself. Aren't you thankful? Praise the Bible says God cannot be tempted and he doesn't tempt anyone. Aren't you thankful? Praise I praise God that we have, and praise God that we have a God that's holy, not only ontologically but be part of his ontological holiness relates to his ethical holiness because of who he is and his purity. But we're made in his image. And although we can't become the uncreated creator of all things and we shouldn't even think about such a ridiculous concept of becoming such, we are called to be holy and separate from that which is evil. In fact, Habakkuk one thirteen says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor, you catch that your eyes are too pure to look upon evil, and you cannot look upon wickedness with favor. That's how holy our God is, you guys. And He calls us to holiness, He calls us to be separate from that which is evil. Listen to what it says, guys, in First Peter chapter 1 15 and 16. How do you apply this to your life? But like the Holy One who called you, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You catch that? So we're called to be holy in the ethical sense. What does it mean to be holy? It's related to the word uh, that we have for sanctification, okay? Hagios is the Greek word for holiness or to be sanctified. And it means to be separate from that which is evil and dedicated or consecrated to our holy God. To be holy means to be separate from that which is evil and consecrated, sanctified, separated to the service of our holy God. That's why Isaiah was like, hey, he knew he couldn't become holy, holy, holy like God. But he said this, woe is me. I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm from people with unclean lips, right? God put a coal on his lips and had an angel do that from the altar in heaven to purify him to show that he was, gonna, he was making it holy and here I am send me what came out of his lips after that here am I send me meaning his lips were used I want to do your will Lord so we are called to pursue holiness in fact you know what the scriptures say in Hebrews chapter 12 there's almost an entire chapter dedicated to the fact that God's called you to holiness and it says he disciplines us and because we're his children he spanks us because what father does not discipline his children right not any that care about him that's for sure And it says he disciplines us so that we will become sharers in his holiness. Why do we need to become sharers in his holiness? Because the scriptures say, the scriptures are clear, that he cannot approve evil. He won't accept that which is in rebellion to him, into his kingdom. And you have to become a sharer in his holiness. Why? Because the scriptures say in that same chapter a few verses later, Pursue holiness or pursue peace and holiness. It's something you pursue without which no one will what? You remember that verse? Without, without, without which no one will what? See the Lord. So if you're rejecting God's call to holiness and you're living a wicked life in rebellion to his moral commands and you're in rebellion to God, you won't see the Lord. For it says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's why he disciplines us so we'll be partakers of his holiness. Amen? Amen? So he calls you to be separate from that which is evil. If there's evil going on in your life, whoever you are, whatever you're embracing, and you know it's unscriptural, you need to reject it, man, and wash your hands of it. And ask the Lord to cleanse you by his precious blood from it. Amen? Wash your hands, you sinners, right? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he'll lift you up in due time. We're called to hate that which is evil, cling to that which is good. So God, God calls us to ethical holiness. Now, we're made holy through the atonement and what Christ did on the cross, amen? We're robed in his holiness, in the the robes of his righteousness, amen, through faith in Christ, amen? But that only happens through trusting Christ. And if we're truly trusting Christ and we're pursuing Christ, if you love me, Jesus said, obey my commandments, right? If we're truly following him and trusting him, we're gonna be pursuing to live a life of holiness as well, amen? Because faith that works is dead. Bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance, the scriptures say. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And I'll tell you what, man, He calls us to be holy in the sense of being separate from the wicked in the world who are in rebellion to Him. Doesn't mean you don't love the wicked in the world because we were once there, amen? And we want to reach out to them with the gospel. That was our lives before we came to Christ. And we're not saved because we're good people. We're saved because we have such a good God who had mercy on us. And in that same mercy he showed on the cross to us, he died for the world. So we need to have a loving disposition toward the lost and love our enemies. Amen? But at the same time, we need to be separate from the influences and those who would steer us into darkness and darkness away from the light in fact listen to this you could go there if you want second corinthians chapter 6 if you've got your bibles second corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 it's a very powerful passage it says do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness what fellowship has light and darkness that's why paul mentions how he has the right if he wanted to like peter to take a believing wife because it's not to be bound together with unbelievers. Now, if you're already married to a non-believer, Paul says stay married in 1 Corinthians 7. That's your mission field, amen? You want to pray for them, love them, reach them for Jesus. But if you're not married yet, Paul says he has the right, like Peter, to take a believing wife. And another place in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul tells those who are eligible to marry, they can marry whoever they wish in the Lord. In the Lord. So if you're not married and you're single, keep those scriptures in mind. But he says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, verse 17, Therefore, because he's called us out from the wicked, therefore, come out from their midst And be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. What an incentive, amen? Repentance. Turn from pursuing the wicked and being like them. And pursue the Lord. And be separate because we're the temple of the living God. And he calls us to be separate, amen? And he'll welcome us as sons and daughters. And I love that. I wish they didn't put the chapter break right there. God didn't put the chapter breaks there. That was man, okay? But chapter 7, verse 1, the very next verse, I would love it if it just that chapter ended this way because look what it says. Therefore, having these promises, because it connects to the last few verses, having these promises, what promises? That by coming out from the wicked world system and being separate from Baal worship, the worship of Belial, that which is worthless, darkness, the wicked. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting what? Holiness in what? The fear of God. That's New Testament, man. You know, you could go through a concordance, you'll see the fear of God all over the New Testament, guys. It's not just an Old Testament doctrine. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord is everlasting, and it's clean, amen? In the New Testament, the last book of the New Testament, Revelation, you know what it talks about? It says, it speaks of an angel flying through the mid heavens preaching the everlasting gospel. You know what it says the first words out of his mouth are? Fear God. Okay? Fear God. Because you don't turn and embrace the gospel, the grace of Christ, until you recognize that we have a thrice holy God. You may not understand all of his holiness, but you realize you've sinned and you've offended him and you need to get right with him and you need to embrace him and accept the sacrifice that he sent on your behalf because of his love for you so you could be saved so, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I want to just stay on His holiness. I can't. I want to get some other attributes, and I'm in real trouble here because I want to get through my message, and I only had a few of the attributes written down. But God is also wrathful, so I want to cover some things really quick. Romans 1.20 Because he is holy, and that which is in rebellion to him, which remains unrepentant, even though he's full of mercy, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, gives people opportunity to repent. He doesn't have to, but he does, because he's so good. Guess what? Those who persist in rebellion. And he he gives them over to depraved mind, Romans chapter 1. Gives them over to the wickedness if they refuse to repent. And it says, For the wrath of God is revealed to heaven against all ungodliness and and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. For that which may be known about God is evident within them. For God has made it evident to them. Therefore, he says, they're without excuse because he's revealed his divine attributes, his eternal power, his majesty through the things that he's made. But he's given them over to sexual sin and sexual perversion. And that's what's happening throughout our country right now. We have an apostate nation, man that hates and rejects the commandments of God. And God is a God of wrath. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 2 through 4, why, why is your apparel red? It's a prophecy of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. In Revelation 19, it says, there'll be this written on him, the word of God, a sword will come from his mouth, with which he'll destroy. Dis, uh, uh, defeat the nations and the antichrist be thrown in the lake of fire and so will the false prophet and says his robe in revelation 19 is dipped in blood but in isaiah it's like why is it bloody why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the wine press i have trod in the wine trough alone and from the peoples there was no man with me i also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath and and he goes on to say and their life blood is sprinkled on my garments and I stained all my remnant. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. It's a year of redemption when he comes back for his saints, amen, but it's also a, year of, a time of vengeance for the wicked who refer, refuse to turn to him. The Bible says, therefore, since in Hebrews chapter twelve twenty and 9, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Wow. Wow. When well, we recognize that God is holy, we recognize that he's also a God of wrath who doesn't mess around and that people can continue to thumb their nose at him, can continue to give him the finger and say, I'm going to do my own thing. You're not going to do a thing to me and act like we're something. We're little specks on a little speck of a planet in the universe, guys. We're going to have a we, we got to be careful, man. You've got to repent if you have some kind of attitude that you're walking around like you're only your little God doing your own little thing. got to repent of that, man serious before God remember Ananias and Sapphira church just started everybody was in one accord everything was going great you know early church there's there a lot of fire love for the Lord and man you get you roll around a few more chapters into the, uh, into the book of uh, Acts I think chapter 8 and then you have Ananias and Sapphira and a lot of people because so many people have congregated to on the day of Pentecost to, to glorify the Lord and all of a sudden boom they hear the gospel they get saved so so many believers stayed in Jerusalem too many the resources to work out for them unless people gave and all kinds of people in the church began selling their properties and stuff and giving to those the poor giving to the Christians that stayed there helping one another and Ananias and Sapphira a little bit later after we see that happening we see them talking about how they sold their land and they said we gave the whole part of it to the church well guess what they lied they sold their land but they didn't give it all to the church and guess what they didn't have to give that land to the church okay it wasn't communism, right? It was their own choice. And Peter said, "Well, the land, the money was in your power. You could didn't have." To, he basically indicates they didn't have to give it, but they said they gave the whole thing to the church. Ananias, boom, he falls over dead. Whew. They drag him out. His wife comes in. Same story. <laughs> boom, she's knocked dead by God. Bam. You know what it says happened in the church? It says when they were dropped dead by the power of God says the fear of the Lord spread throughout the church. Wow. I wish we could be more like the early church. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. They were, they were bam, bam. And the fear of the Lord spread throughout the church. In fact, got, the Lord Jesus says to a church in the Revelation chapter 2, who have this false prophetess named Jezebel, that he gave space to repent. He gave her time. He's a loving God. But she's even leading his servants into sexual sin. She claims to be a prophetess, and she's a false prophetess, but she's leading his servants, it says, into sexual sin and eating sacrificed idols. Yes, servants of Christ can fall. Okay? There's a lot of scriptures on that. And they're following her. And then Jesus said he gave her space to repent, but she didn't. So I'm going to kill her children with death. He cast her in a sickbed. Whoa. And he says, and all the churches shall know. And you know what he quotes? A passage from Jeremiah of Yahweh that he tests the hearts and the minds. Amen. He gives to people according to their deeds. They'll know that I'm that God, Jesus says. That's a great scripture for the deity of Christ because it's Yahweh in the Old Testament who says he's that. And everybody will know that's who I am, Jesus says. When? When he kills her with death. That's New Testament, guys. God is still a God of wrath. Okay? Now, we don't agree with R.C. Sproul, Jr., Not to be confused with R.C. Sproul, but R.C. Sproul Jr. says God's necessary nature is wrathful. And he created people just so he could show that part of himself and have wrath on people. And just show his wrath and how he's like smoldering with wrath toward people. Before they even exist, it's like, no, R.C. Sproul Jr., wrong. God is love, amen. But God is holy and his wrath is a response after people are created because of his holiness, amen. And because he is also love, and love protects that which is good and righteous and holy, that his wrath is exercised toward the wicked who are defiant and become like little demons in his sight. Okay? So we don't believe that God sat around before creation just smoldering. I just wish I could create someone to kill him. No, that's not God. Okay? That's more like the devil. But because God is holy, holy, holy. Amen? Just like if you take a wicked person before a judge, and I use this example because I think it's so revealing to the truth of things if we saw somebody getting bludgeoned to death you, you're, going, you're leaving here and all of a sudden you see an old lady getting bludgeoned to death for her purse and the guy's kicking her and she's just screaming and then she's kicked dead and, and they get arrested and you have a few witnesses and you go to court and guess what you know the judge knows the guy's dad that did that and they're really good friends and, and he lets the guy off and says you know what even though you have 35 witnesses I, I believe this guy's a, a good guy deep down he's, he's free to go Would you say that's a righteous judge or not? It's a wicked judge, amen? Because God is righteous, because he is holy, he punishes evil, amen? And that's why he is also a God of wrath. So God, though, also, thank God. God is love, okay? Now, wrath is something that's born out of the fact that God's holy in his response to wickedness. But before God creates anyone, God is already love, you know Allah, who doesn't really exist, is incapable of true love as an eternal being. Why? Because Allah in Islam existed by Himself. Who was there to love before He created? He's not love. He can't even there's no one to love. Our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And they share a perfect love within the triune Godhead. Amen. Three persons, one God. And God is spirit. But he shares, but Jesus, the second person of the triune Godhead, is the word who becomes flesh and takes on flesh to die for us, pay for our sins, and rose again and never lives to make intercession for us. But you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Triune Godhead, okay? And we're going to be looking at beyond the attributes when we go through these discipleship messages. We're going to look at the Trinity. We're going to be looking at Christology, who Jesus is. Then we'll get into sociology and so forth. But it's important to understand how awesome our God is. Our God is love. And before an angel or human was created, he was already love. All right? The, Jesus says that he was with the Father from the time before the world even began. Amen? And he, he talked about the intimacy he had with the Father. What amazing God we have. It's mind-blowing. You know? Absolutely mind-blowing. But God is love. He's omnipresent, we say. He's omnipotent. We'll talk about those things a little bit in a minute. But he's also what? Now I'm getting uh Is 10:17 the right time? I want to get done in time. 10:19? Okay. Praise God. Thank you. So, interestingly enough, we're not going to 11 anymore. We're going to 10:45 so we'll get done a little bit early. But I will tell you what, guys, it's important to understand God is love. That's his nature, just as he's holy, holy, holy. We read two different times in 1st John, God is love doesn't say he has love. He says, I love it, man. He says, says he is love. And this is one of my other favorite of the attributes of God, his holiness and his love. 1 John 4, 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 16. We have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That's amazing, guys. He is love. And you know what blows me away? When we talk about his omnipresence in a few minutes, we're going to talk about the size of the universe. When you think of the size of the universe, right? Huge, right? You know the scriptures say that God's love is so immeasurable that it says his love is as high as the heavens are from the earth. And do you know how big the universe is? That 93, and this is just the known observable universe, they don't have a clue they just could tell to a degree based on their our biggest telescopes, they estimate that it's 93 billion light years across. Now a light year is how fast you can go in a second for a year. is uh, going at the speed of light. How far you can go at the speed of light in one second for an entire year would be a light year. That's like, not like, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit more depth when I talk about his omnipresence, but his, the universe is so big. That's just the known universe. What we know about it is mind-boggling, but that's probably a small fraction of what it is, and the Bible says, as high as the heavens are for the, from the earth, so great is God's love toward those who fear him. Wow. Think about how much God love God has for you. Now, I think it's mind-boggling because when I think about his love, Psalm 119.64 says, The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. John 3.16. It tells me even more about his love than the size of the universe being compared to his love. How? Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. His love is selfless. His love is giving. For God so loved the world, Jesus said, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him may be what? May be saved. Amen? And that's a trip because the scriptures say in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, somebody might die for a righteous man, but while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? That's, that's his amazing love. How many of you would send your only child to die for the sins of those who hated you and are your, en- your enemies. You're talking about amazing, incredible love. We have such an incredibly loving God, you guys. And I want to just sit on that attribute, the whole service, but I'm looking at my time and I know I've got to get to a few others, but I just want to encourage you guys when you think about how great his love is, how should we, that apply to our lives? The Bible says we love him because what? He first loved us. Lord God, help us to love you more. And you know why why I emphasize the love of God so much as a pastor? It's because we need to know who he is. And God being loved, being repeated more than once, is an aspect of his nature that I think people either take for granted and they don't understand how loving he is or they explain it away and ignore it. Like some of the five-point Calvinists, like Westboro Baptist Church, they pride themselves as being five-point Calvinists, and they believe God hates gays and He never loved them at all in any kind of salvific way. And there's many teaching that God doesn't love the non-elect. Okay, D. A. Carson, and I, the book, I'm not. It, it's called uh, the Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. He's a Calvinist, but he has a great section there on John chapter three verse sixteen in the Gospel of John, how it uses the word love, and he says, Hey, as a Calvinist, he acknowledges. You can't say God just loved the elect. The word world there refers to the lost world in its context. And he goes through other passages in the Gospel of John where the word world obviously doesn't mean just the elect. And I believe you don't have to go beyond John 3.16 except for a couple more verses to see who the world is right there. First of all, the context, whosoever, amen, of the world. But then a couple verses later, he talks about how the world loved darkness more than light and hated the light, refused to come to light. That's the same world that he has died for, he mentions. That he's going to die for, John 3.16. He loves everybody amen and the last things christians need in the last day is to go around telling people that god only loves a few people and i try to tell people that's like the worst thing you can say about somebody but you're gonna say that about the thrice holy and the all-loving god who is love who is omnipresent omnipotent but he's not omni love he doesn't have a lot of love give me a break oh well no he has a lot of love it's just for me and a few people that think like me that's so ridiculous and arrogant man so god is love and we love him because he first loved us. And so, so when we look at his love and we study God and we see who he is, it makes us want to love him more. Amen? Amen. It's his kindness that says it leads us to repentance. When I see his kindness, yeah, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That will help you repent. Amen? But guess what? Seeing who he is and how loving he is and how awesome he is how much he cares about you makes you feel horrible about your sin. It's like, God, how could I do that to you? How could I put a knife in your back when you gave your son for me? You know, how could you treat him that way? How could I treat him that way? So it makes you, we love him because he first loved us. He was forgiven much. Jesus said, loves much. And we've all been forgiven very, very, very much. Amen? So we should all be loving him back very, very, very much. And that's why I know, I know why Paul said this prophetically, or at least I know why the Holy Spirit led him. Paul in Ephesians chapter three, he, his prayer for the church at Ephesus was that they might understand better what? The height the depth, the width, and the length of God's love toward them in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the more we understand how much he loves us, the more we're going to love him. The more we're going to understand who he is and we're going to relate to him in a correct way. Because the church at Ephesus, we find out later, Jesus says, you have left your what? First love. So that's why I constantly show the types and the pictures of the love of God and the beauty of his plan throughout the Old Testament because in that way I can glorify his sovereignty and how wise he is in his providence and how loving he is in His, his plans to redeem whosoever will come, amen? And when he says, he prays that we might understand the height, the depth, the width, and the length of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Think about that, guys. How high is his love? We already talked about it. As high as the what? Heavens are from the earth, amen? How wide is his love? Woo, man, It's wide. To the uttermost and the guttermost, he so loved the world, amen. How deep is his love? He went into the lower parts of the earth, amen, to set captivity captive in his train, amen. Jesus has the keys of Hades and death. What an awesome God we have. And you know what? We love him and we check out our, how we ought to love him. Jesus shows us that the Father's love is a model of how we ought to love other people. Luke chapter 6 verse 30, 26 begins this way. Jesus says, but I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the others also, and whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either, give to everyone who asks you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back, wow, that's, that's radical love, guys, treat others the same way that you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, that's heavy, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. I mean, how are you better as a Christian if you just love people that are nice to you? That's what non-believers do. If we're Christians, we ought to be going farther, amen? We ought to be loving everybody, even those that are our enemies. We ought to be praying for them, amen? Crying out on their behalf. Ah, well, that's what God did with you. You were his enemy, amen? Amen? you came to Christ. It says we were hostile in our minds toward him. We were children of wrath. If you do good th- to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend, uh, If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love, now check this out, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be, now look at this, and you will be sons of the Most High. <whistles> what does he mean you'll be sons of the Most High? For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful because God loves his enemies. And if you want to be like him, you need to love your enemies too. And now, brothers and sisters, that's something we're incapable of doing in our flesh. Just to let you know. If you're like, how could I do that? Guess what? That's why we need the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, peace, joy. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, after it talks, about, it talks about God's great love, it says that the love of God, I'm sorry, chapter 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, amen? So we need to pray and say, God, use me, amen? God, help me love more. We have not because we ask not, but when we ask according to His will, we have it. Is His will that we love more? Is His will that we love our enemies? Is His will that we love like the Father? So you apply God's Loving after you, first and foremost, by being thankful and saying, Lord God, thank you for loving me. You're such a good God. And, and loving him and worshiping him and exalting him. But you apply it in your own life by also loving like he's loved and allowing him because guess what? The Holy Spirit wants to love people through you. The Holy Spirit is God. Amen. God wants to love people through you. And when you don't love your enemies, you're grieving the Holy Spirit who wants to use you to show the love of Christ that he's shown you. Do you understand that? That means we need to take a moment and say, Lord, help me to love more than I do. Because in our flesh, Paul says, dwells no good thing. Therefore, Paul says, we put no confidence in the flesh. Don't just think, yeah, I need to love my enemies more. That's not going to happen, guys. That's a, that's a start, but you can't stop there. That has to turn to conviction, right? Godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. Like, God, I'm sorry, I'm not loving the way you call me to. And confession of the sin, the darkness, Right? and asking for forgiveness, and restoration, then asking, Lord, help me be a loving person, and not just doing that once in a while, man, that we need to abide in his love, amen, we need to constantly see our own deficiency, my own deficiency as a man, are constantly before me, if I walk in my own strength, I know I'll fall on my face, like that, because I'm nothing, honestly, I'm nothing, this guy up here, Joe is nothing without the Lord, amen, but man, I know I can rely on the Lord. I know I can cry out to him. I can, know, I can say, Lord, have mercy on me. Help me be the person you want me to be. And he's going to put love in my heart for people that I had no love up for before. You know, I know people when they see these guys riding, people doing all these wicked things, people just want to tear them from limb to limb. And believe me, my flesh, when I see something, that gets angry, okay? There is a righteous anger. But I need to say, Lord, help me pray for these people. They're lost. I could have grown up on that side of the tracks and been doing that too, okay? And before, before I got saved, I could be right along doing stupid things. Okay, so we need to pray and seek to be more loving than we are. Oh, I want to cover so many, and I've got a little bit of time left here. So I'm going to just cover a few more. God's mercy. Mercy is a manifestation of God's love. Amen? And it's God withholding what we deserve. Amen? Amen. The wrath that we deserve because of our sin, he withholds what we deserve amen, because he's merciful, because he is love, he doesn't immediately give us what we deserve. You know how we know that's true? Because here we are today. If he would have given us what we deserved, when we deserved it, none of us would be here today. None of us. In fact, people say, man, I wish Jesus just returned today. I'm like, really? I wanted to come back soon too, but guess what? He says he's not slack concerning his promise to come back but he's long-suffering toward the wicked, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And aren't you glad he didn't come back before the day before you got saved? Amen? So he—he he, he's not willing that any would perish. He's he, 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 wills that all would come to repentance. He's full of mercy. I love that about him. That he's a merciful God. It's Because of his mercies, we're not consumed every morning. Otherwise, we deserve to be consumed every morning by his fire, by his wrath, but he's a God that's full of mercy. And guess what? We're told to apply that to our lives. Right after Paul talks about the grace and the love and the mercy of God for 11 chapters in Romans, which highlights his grace more than any book, we read this in chapter 12, the very next passage, verse 1. Therefore, therefore, in light of 11 chapters on love, grace, and mercy... Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, meaning because of the mercies I've been writing about, to present your bodies as a living, holy, living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Meaning, because God's had mercy on us, we should live for Him. Amen. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God. What the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. A little bit further down in verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine hour, Pace, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome, Nakao. The, 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 the noun is uh, Nike. That's where we get the Nike means to have, have, have a victory. To so overcome, Nakao means to get victory. It's a verb. And don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. And you know why this is so important today that I preach like this? And we keep preaching the love of God, and we keep showing how this relates to our own lives, and that we have to be loving because we live in a time where Jesus said the love of many will grow cold. Amen? Amen. And we, gotta, we cannot dare let the wickedness around us change our hearts. Amen? We need to abide in the Lord, in the atmosphere of Jesus and who he is. Amen? Staying in in him, abiding in him, and deriving love from him through abiding in him, through faith, amen? Amen. We have to do that, guys. We have to do that because a lot of people are going to get so ticked off. You think it's ugly right now? Don't you see some things brewing? Think about the coming election. And Trump poised to appoint perhaps a new Supreme Court judge because Ruth Gader Ginsburg just, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just died. And you know what? People are like, we're going to riot. We're, we're going to riot. You're already rioting. We're going to burn down, you know, top, you know, people that are known in the media. We're going to burn down the Capitol or whatever. Things like that are being said. It's going to get really, really ugly, guys. And guess what? It's going to be really easy for people to hate one another. You need to lift your heart and your mind above and beyond partisan politics and politicians. You need to exist in the stratosphere of Jesus. Your heart and mind need to be in heavenly places, amen? Your heart and mind need to be rooted in the gospel, rooted in the word of Christ. You need to be meditating on his word day and night because if you're constantly watching the news. And I'm a strong believer. You need to know what's going on, okay? And I'm a strong believer in conservative principles. And I'm a strong believer in being salt and light in the world that we live in. And if you can affect things, praise God, do it. Just don't try to dominate other people and call it, you know, dominionism and achieve the seven mountains that you rule because that's not what God's called us to amen but I'm telling you right now we need to make sure that as we are salt and light that we're loving people because guess what praise God he has his overcomers in the last days amen in the book of Revelation who are those who are the remnant and by the way you know what message was going to be today on what what the Bible says about being an overcomer basically and I was going to preach that that was my message last night okay and I thought you know what I want to work a little more on that, and I want to work a little more on th- this, applying this to our lives, so I thought I'm going to preach this today. But we'll have a message on what it means to be an overcomer, maybe one or two on that, because the Bible defines what it means to be an overcomer. Last. How many of you want to know what God says about being an overcomer in the last days and what it entails? Amen? So we'll have a couple messages on that, because it's not talked about enough. Because everybody talks about, oh, the Bible talks about believers, believers, believers. Well, the Bible also talks about disciples, and believers are disciples. Well, yeah, it talks about believers and disciples, believers and disciples, believers and disciples. No, yeah, and the Bible also talks about believers and disciples and that they're also overcomers. Okay, and we hardly ever hear about overcomers. We're going to hear about that. But you guys, he says don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And I'll tell you what, we need to make sure we're full of mercy. And you guys, regarding God's grace, the grace of God, and by the way, the reason we always emphasize we're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves as gift of God, not of works that anyone should boast. The, re- the reason we always emphasize the cross and what Jesus did on the cross and his amazing grace is because that's the greatest expression of his love. Amen? Grace is the greatest expression of God's love. 1 John talks about, you want to see what love is, John says? It's that God gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. Amen? We get to see his love in the grace that's shown us through the cross. Amen? in what Jesus did. He's gracious to us. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. How many can say amen and thank you for that? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Man, he saved us by his grace, but you know that grace should have an impact on us. Paul says in, chapter, in Titus chapter two, verse eleven through thirteen, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to the elect. No, has appeared unto all men, right? But guess what? It teaches. He goes, teaching us it should apply to our lives because he saved us by his grace, and we should be doomed. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and to deny worldly lust or desires. Amen teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, living soberly and righteously in this present world. Amen. And that he's purified a people for himself for good deeds. He goes on to say to Titus, preach this with all authority and let no one disregard what you're saying. Brothers and sisters, we need to make sure that we are showing grace on others and that we are living holy lives and righteous lives because of his grace. Right after Paul says we're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves a gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast, he goes on to say we are his workmanship, amen, created in Christ Jesus for good works, amen. So we ought to be doing good things in thankfulness to his grace. I'll tell you what, somebody goes out of their way to save your life and, and they don't just go out of the way, they leave their place where they live. Heaven, and they become a man, and they're tortured and brutally killed for you. You do nothing in response to that. We're indebted to him, a debt we could never pay off. That he doesn't expect us to pay off because it was a free gift. But we should have a sense of gratitude that says, "Lord, I want to be a blessing to you." And I love what Titus says in chapter three, the very right after that. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities. To obedient to do every are ready for every good work. And that's why I remind you to be obedient to the authorities above us unless they contradict God's word. Because that's said over and over and over again. And it might be fun to say, Oh, I'm a rebel against the government. Ain't I cool? Come on, man. We need to obey the government unless it contradicts God's word. Okay? To malign no one. Don't malign people. To be peaceable, gentle, showing mercy, or showing every consideration for all men. Why? For we also once were foolish ourselves disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of, our, when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, not based on our works, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, man, he's given us such grace. We need to now show that grace to other people. Are you with me today? I can't believe how they are. Well, guess how you were before you were saved. wasn't like that. Well, in God's perspective, you were really, really bad. Not as bad as them. Quit comparing yourself with others. Compared to God, you were doomed. And be thankful that you're saved. And show other people grace and mercy. And you know what? The Bible says, therefore, offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, I love it says we're bought with a price, amen? The price of Christ's blood, First Peter uh, chapter 1 is more precious than silver and gold, right? But since we're bought with a price, he says therefore glorify God in your bodies, amen? Right. Now I wanna talk as I end here about a couple things like God's omnipresence briefly. <sighs> Jeremiah 23, or 24, 23, 24 says, can a man hide himself in secret places or can I, where I cannot see him, the Lord says? You can't hide from God. He sees you wherever you're at. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? And he not only fills heavens and the earth. But listen to this, guys. 1 Kings 8:27. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold heaven. Listen to this. Heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. Wow. That's 1 Kings 8:27. Heaven and even the highest heavens cannot contain God's presence. <laughs> How much less can this house which I have built? Meaning God's presence Think of the universe, how big it is. It can't contain Him. And the heaven, and the heaven of heavens, which is, I'm sure, far bigger than the universe, cannot contain God's presence. And now how far do they say today, how big is the universe? 93 what? Billion light years across? I was explaining this to my grandchildren last night. Poor kids, I mean, my wife, poor wife. So I woke them up and gave them kisses on the cheek, and they were in the living room sleeping on the couches and everything, and, and, uh, and then I... Eli said, pop up, you owe me a story. I told him one story, I told him, I told him another one later. And my wife's like, don't wake him up. I'm like, I had to keep my word though. So I'm like, okay. So him and Justice are up and I'm telling him a story. I go, and they wanted a bubble boy story. And bubble boy's a superhero I made for them. They try to have moral things. Sometimes it's just fun. But, but I try to teach them scripture. And, uh, and I said, you know what? I'm going to tell you about God's omnipresence, omnipotence. And sometimes when I you know, take it theological with them, their eyes can glaze over, oh, no, you want to hear like this. And I go, this, I go, man, Jesus Christ is the ultimate superhero. He's, he has every superpower, all p- power in heaven and earth is given unto them. I'm getting animated, it's kind of late for them, and I'm excited, and Eli's like laughing, you know, because I'm doing things I'd never do in front of you, like my head's exploding because the knowledge is so big, and, or wonderful, or what have you. Anyways, we're getting into it, and I'm saying, and I'm trying to explain light years to them, and they, they'll finally grasp it, you know, someday, but... I said, if, if 93 billion light years across. And I said, to explain how fast a light, how fast, if you could strap yourself on a, on a beam of light, if you could live through it, which you couldn't. Let's say you go that fast. To go at the speed of light, 186,000 miles about a second would mean you could go around the earth seven and a half times in one second. So if you could go around the earth seven and a half times in one second and travel at that speed, it would take 90 Three billion years at that speed to cross just the known universe that we could see. Now I did some math. I thought you know what? If you lived 93 years of age you could live 93 years of age and travel seven and a half times around the moon, or sun, I'm sorry, the earth in a second. At 93 years of age at that speed you'd live a lifetime You would have to live a billion of those lifetimes, 93 billion, a billion lifetimes to the age of 93 on average to cross the universe at that speed of just what they know about the universe. And guess what? Heaven of heavens cannot contain him. And because he's so big, that's his love too. Amen? Because his love is as high as the heavens are from the earth 186,000 miles a second is 670,616,629 miles per hour. It's just mind-boggling when you think about it. Now, he's um, he's everywhere. Can't hide from him. And he's all-powerful. Genesis 17, 21, he tells Abraham, I am God Almighty. Jeremiah 32, 17. Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched hand, nothing is too difficult for you. Jesus says, "All things are possible with God." In Matthew nineteen twenty-five, in Second Kings nineteen thirty-five, it talks about an angel. One angel, Jim, Big Jim, and I were talking about this the other day. I taught about this in another message, a couple of other messages. One angel kills one hundred eighty-five thousand Assyrians. Just one angel. Jesus call, said to Pilate, "I could call twelve, what?" legions of angels 12 legions of angels legions, Roman legions were up to like 6,000 that's 6,000 think about, do the math if one angel could kill 185,000 he could call 12 legions, 12 times 6,000 6,000 times 12 times 185,000, I did the math 13,320,000 13,320,000 Roman soldiers only a fraction of those guys existed, could be wiped out now I don't think that one angel is limited to 185,000, by the way. And I don't, think Jesus, I don't think Jesus would be limited to calling 12 legions either. Okay? You get the idea, though, right? One angel binds Satan in the abyss during the millennial period. Just one. And these angels were created by God. He could just say the word, boom, and they're gone. In fact, God spoke his word, and the universe was created. Amen? Amen. That's how powerful our God is. So last night, as I was putting these guys back to bed and assuring my wife they'd be fine, you know. God is good, and she was cool with it. She got up, what is going on out here? Uh, You know, Eli was like, pop up, can you turn the lights out now? But I want him to apply this, right? Like, Eli, we just talked about how God's everywhere, right? And he's with you right here. You don't need the lights on because the light's bright lights. You walk in there, he wants the light on, you know. And, uh, And guess what? If there was even someone here, he's more powerful than everybody, right? And he's with you and he loves you. He's good. And is so funny. He can be real. I call it his deliberate gesture. He goes, he'll, but he'll explain sometimes. He'll look at his hand he'll go, and he go. He goes, pop up. I'm not afraid of anything, <laughs> you know. And uh, he goes, I just like the lights on. So we kept the light on. But then he goes, oh, but pop up. We can make it dimmer. And he, he gets up and he dims it to where it's just a little bit of light on. And he's growing. I thought, ooh, there he goes. That's, a, that's, a, that's some growth. Brothers and sisters, we need to apply it to our lives. When we realize how big and powerful and good and omnipresent and omniscient, all-knowing. I mean, we didn't even get into a lot of attributes that I talk about in our podcast. You want to go to the podcast because I don't go through all the applications. I get more into theology there. Guess what? When, the more you recognize how awesome your God is, the more you'll, you won't be afraid of the dark. The more you won't be afraid of the enemy. The more you won't be afraid of Man the more you won't be afraid of your circumstances, the more you won't be afraid of death, the more you won't be afraid of your big, bad bills, the more you get your eyes on Jesus, guess what? You won't fear man, which is a snare. You'll fear God and love him who deserves to be feared and loved. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Can we all please stand?